0: summit come on out! all right so if you've got a Bible uh, you can turn to James chapter 3 if you don't have a Bible there's probably one in front of you you can grab that one and James is near the back of the book oh I can't remember maybe someone can shout out the page number when you find it let's make it a race whoever finds it in the bench Bible not the one you brought from home but the bench Bible (laughs) 977, okay, so you look to page 977 and you'll find James chapter 3. I'm trusting that that's correct. Um, James is a little brother of Jesus, younger brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. And then that was so convincing that he uh, became a follower of Jesus. And he's writing, he writes this letter, and as we heard a couple weeks ago, every little part of his letter is like a punch in the gut. Because it really sort of gets your attention with stuff we need to know. And so we call this series Apprentice because we want to become like the one we follow. And as followers of Jesus, obviously, we're following Jesus. We want to become like him and to learn his ways. And James is really super helpful and practical in pointing out uh, ways in which we don't follow Jesus. And that redirects us towards uh, the ways of Jesus. So James chapter 3 is what I'm reading today. So let's just uh, jump in. Verse one, it says, "'Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, "'because you know that we we who teach "'will be judged more strictly.'" I'm gonna walk us through this bit by bit, so let's start with that. "'Not many of you should become teachers.'" Why should not many people aspire to become teachers? I mean, teachers have multiplied influence over other people. Wouldn't you want to become teachers? Well, I think it's a caution. It's like saying, listen, Becoming a teacher is a weighty thing. It's a significant thing. Because you have multiplied influence, you've got to make sure that if you're going to be a teacher, that you're a good teacher. Right? A bad teacher will have multiplied influence in bad ways. A good teacher will have multiplied influence in good ways. Well, we want good teachers and not bad influ- teachers. But here's the last part of the line. It says, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, the rest of what we're going to read here is all talking about our speech. So teachers obviously use the skill of, or use the, um, the tool of speech amongst other things to communicate and to apprentice uh, students. But he says, we'll be judged more strictly. So the greater influence you have, the more strictly you will be Judged. And so you don't want to just sort of say, hey, I want to have influence and I think I could share a couple things that might be helpful and not really examine whether what you're bringing is really actually beneficial. And I think that that, that phrase judged more strictly is not just talking about the fact that people will judge you. It's talking about the fact that God himself is the one who makes the final judgment call over whether what we bring is good or not good. This whole chunk of scripture that we're going to read here this morning is really uh, telling us that we are accountable to God for our speech so whether you're a teacher you have that role in your life and all of us have probably in different ways uh, whether we're parents or whether we're lead in some capacity we probably all have some sort of influence or teaching role at some level whether it's greater or less But remember that we are accountable to God for what we say for our speech. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. That's relieving that the Bible knows that about us. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It's basically saying it's so hard to keep your speech in check. If you could keep that in check, you could keep the whole rest of your body in check because the rest of it's easy compared to the tongue. We'll see that even more. When we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Little bit, big animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a word of, world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> That's pretty drastic, eh? Pretty, pretty wow. This, let me sum this up. Our little tongues have the ability to cause great destruction. Our little tongues have incredibly powerful ability to cause great destruction verse 7 all kinds of animals birds reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind we tame elephants 10 times 20 times our body size it's amazing what what we can do but no human being can tame the tongue it's a restless evil full of deadly poison so you say whoa this is really bad news all this First, we're accountable to God for our speech. Secondly, our tongues have the ability to cause great destruction. And thirdly, nobody can tame it. Sounds really bad, doesn't it? There is good news, but James, again, remember we said he's Mr. Gut Punch? That's what he's doing right now. He's saying, I want want you to pay attention. First, the bad news. First, the bad news. No human being can tame the tongue. It's funny because if you've got... Probably, if you're looking in an NIV Bible, the the title at the top of this page says Taming the Tongue, doesn't it? And then it goes on to say, You can't tame the tongue. (laughs) In fact, it's funny when I was sort of doing some research on this, I found lots of pastors across North America have preached on taming the tongue. And then, of course, when you get to this part, you have to admit, You can't. You can't tame the tongue. Now, don't worry, there's good news coming. There's good news coming. But let me read it again. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, what can you do? What can you do? Because a lot of times, we try to tame the tongue, or at least filter the tongue, right? You ever say that? You say, oh, oh, I forgot. I left my filter off. I shouldn't have said that, right? Oh, did I say that out loud, right? "Oh, oh, Oh, I can't. Where did that come from? Right? We say things that sort of show that our filter's not working as good as we have. I have a friend and he's about my age, just a couple years older than me, and I have noticed through the years that his filter is working less and less as we go. <laughs> I love having coffee with him because I never know what he's gonna say. It is like so entertaining. But he'll say something and he'll say, oh, whoa, I didn't really mean to say that. And I'll be like, whoa, <laughs> your filter is totally breaking down. You are losing all ability to stop saying what you don't want to say. And to me, it's entertaining. I love him. He loves me. He's a good-hearted guy. But he says some crazy stuff now. Now, that gets you thinking, doesn't it? because most of our efforts have been like i'm going to tame the tongue i'm constrict the tongue i'm going to stop myself from saying the things that i shouldn't be saying but what if you couldn't some of us run into that in a moment of passion or emotion and suddenly we say the things we had said before we would never say we'd had a little pep talk with ourselves in this conversation i'm not going to go here and then you get so inflamed with anger or emotion Suddenly, you're saying it. You're like, I didn't mean to say this. Afterwards, you can't, I can't believe I said that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could take that back. The filter breaks down. What if in the course of time, like my good friend, the filter continues to break down, and now you're not in charge of, you can't actually stop yourself from saying What's inside? It means we got to do more than just tame the tongue. We've got to look at something else, and we'll get to it in a moment. It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So James is pointing out a huge area of hypocrisy. He's saying this is totally inconsistent. You're praising God. We did that this morning, right? You're praising the Creator and then turning around and cursing his creation. Somehow there's this disconnect. You're like, God, you're amazing. You created all of us. It's wonderful. And then you meet someone who's made in the image of God, created by God, and curse them. Bless God. Curse. It's saying, this should not be. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree... Bear olives? Obviously, no. A grapevine? Bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So, James is making the point. Now, normally, if I was, we're, we're taking James in bite-sized pieces, and I realize that somebody gets the, ni- the next bite-sized piece, and I want to jump into chapter 4, but I'm not allowed to because someone else is going to preach on that. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go back to the source material. Remember where did James where did James learn all this stuff that he's he's writing this letter? What were his two main sources? Does anybody remember from the very first week we or, or, or first and second week we talked about the two sources, two things that he knew that helped to inform what he was writing? Does anybody remember from what? Sorry, I can't. Sermon on the Mount. On the Mount. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. My friend's filter is going, my hearing's going, obviously. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, exactly. And also an Old Testament book, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. So James, like most Jewish boys, would know the book of Proverbs quite well, but also he knew the teachings of Jesus quite well. So we're going to go to the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. And I think this is where we're going to discover the key to taming the tongue. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. It'll probably be up on the screen there for you. you... Okay? It says, no good tree. Remember? James was already talking about trees. Where did he learn that from? From Jesus. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Similar language to what James was using. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, James shows us the problem, but Jesus gives us the key. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Turn to your neighbor right now, smile so they know you're friendly, and say, you are full of it, okay? Just say it. (laughs) Now, some of you say, Steve, I see an inconsistency. (laughs) You're telling us to say that? That's a terrible thing to say to our neighbor. Well, no, no, no. I didn't say what their heart was full of. Hopefully, you didn't either. Are full. I have something. But what it's full of determines what comes out through your speech. Let's read Jesus' key again. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, this is why it's so crucial to understand that your goal here is not just to have better self control on your tongue through trying to filter your words, trying to keep that stuff stuffed down and repressed and don't say it and hope that when you get old you still have that ability? That's not the goal. The goal is to change what your heart is full of. The goal is to go to the source. If if the water that's coming out of your mouth is from the well of your heart, you've got to change what's in the well you got to make sure that that's the right stuff. So what fills your heart? A critical heart produces a critical tongue. A self-righteous heart produces a judgmental tongue. A bitter heart often produces an acid tongue. An ungrateful heart produces a grumbling tongue. But on the, on the flip side, a loving heart produces a gracious tongue. A faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart produces a reconciling tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. So you need to fill your heart with the right things so that what comes out of your mouth doesn't need filtering. You need to fill your heart with the right things. I'm going to give you a, a real great tip right now. The Word of God. The Word of God. Let me give you four passages. You say, I want to work on my tongue. I'm going to give you four. These are, these are favorites. People love these. These are four favorites. Give me four chapters that are, are great. You could just soak in these chapters, and they would be the right kind of stuff to put in your heart so that the stuff that comes out of your mouth is good. Matthew chapter 5, it's Jesus, the Beatitudes, they call it, the teachings, where he says, Blessed are the meek and the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. All those different things. Blessed are you when men will revile you and say all manner of things against you falsely, for great is your reward in heaven. And for so persecuted the prophets before you. Oh, it's just so good. It's so good. It's just talking again and again about being what you want to be, what God has called you to be, and the right response to when you receive something negative and not taking that in. Oh, here's another one. Romans 12. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or famine and all these things, not, neither life nor death, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Boy, that's great. Just all of chapter 12 is amazing. Just soak in that, soak in that. Get the right kind of stuff coming in that God loves you that much. He's not, whole, he's not counting your sins against you. He's not condemning you. Uh, as a believer, we're made new in Christ. We have a brand new relationship with him and it's an incredibly powerful, loving relationship. That, that'll help you. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not boast. Right? Love endures, love perseveres. Wow, all about love. Philippians 2, have the same attitude as Jesus, who humbled himself. It talks all about Jesus humbling himself, becoming a man, so that he could be a servant and give himself for us. Those are great ones. Those are, those are four of my favorites. Matthew 5, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 13, and Philippians 2. All incredible things to meditate on and to think about. And, to, and you say, well, I need to change the makeup of what's in here. I need to purify the well that my speech comes out of. Those would be wonderful ones uh, to go to. So we can't tame the tongue unless we have a heart, a new heart, full of good things. In fact, you not only need a new heart, but you need a new mind, new mind. Let me read to you from Romans 12 too. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's the pattern of your world? I mean, it's different than mine. You probably run in different circles than I do. You have different environments. What's the pattern of your world? In regards to speech, what's the pattern of your workplace? What's the pattern of your classroom, if you're in high school or in college? What's the pattern of your uh, extracurricular groups? right, my high school, talk tough, swear a lot, uh, dirty jokes in the locker room, especially on my football team, lots of dirty jokes, Um, sarcasm, we were dripping with sarcasm. Mouthy. I was mouthy. I was mouthy as a teenager. I really was. That was how you survived high school. I want to tell you a story. When I was in high school, my brothers were, uh, I had a, two older brothers, and they'd both gone on to, off to Eston College to go to Bible College. And while they were there, there was a weekend retreat that they were hosting up there for, for uh, students who were in senior high, uh, high school. And um, one of my older brother Peter's buddies uh, decided he'd go. He wanted to go up and visit Peter and see what this Bible school thing was all about. So I caught a ride with him, and uh, he had a he, he had a really nice car. He had a um, a Mazda RX-7, and uh, so this is 1988 we're talking, and we're we're cruising like it's about an eight-hour journey journey from where I live to to Eston, and we are just, I don't know how fast we did that journey, but it was amazing how fast we got there. And we are just flying along these roads, and we only have one, um, I wanna say CD, but it might have been cassette, I'm not sure. (laughs) Anyhow, we only have one album to listen to, and it was very soothing music, Twisted Sister. (laughs) So he put in Twisted Sister when we got in the car, And it never stopped playing until we got there. And you know what? In some ways I was loving it, right? We're not gonna take it. No, we're not gonna take it. We're not gonna take it anymore. You know, I'm just, we're just singing it and we're loving it and we're riding and this car is just roaring and we're just, "Ah!" all that teenage angst being channeled into the music and speeding some unwholesome talk. And so I get to the Bible college. <laughs> and I've, I know what my high school environment's like. I know how I'm surviving being on the football team. I know the pattern of that my world quite well. And I'm becoming a product of that pattern. Now I've just soaked myself in the rebellious lyrics of Twisted Sister for this whole ride. I get there, and I walk into a different world. I'm like, here are people who are like a year or two or three years out of high school, and they're not swearing, they're not up in each other's faces, they're not uh, demeaning, Uh, If they're sarcastic, it's sort of light and just humorous, but it's not like cutting, like the sarcasm I would be using or my friends used. There's lots of people just wanting to give you a big hug, and that was strange to me. You know, I was sort of always on the defensive in my high school, ready to, you know, fight or flight, right? And here, it's just warm and loving and caring, and I'm just like, at first, it was so strange, I almost couldn't handle it. But you know what, halfway through the weekend, I just sort of felt like, whoa, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't even know this kind of culture existed. See, what was happening was students had spent time in a culture where they were renewing their minds. So instead of being conformed to the world, they were being transformed by the renewing of their minds, and it was creating this loving culture with encouraging speech. And I remember, sort of me, the high point was like, you know, this Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday night, there was like a worship service, like a speaker, but the thing that really stood out to me was at the end, we had another worship time after the speaker, and it went on for a long time, and it was, I was into it. I was surprised I was into it. And then there was this one um, young lady, a student, who she was up there, and she she, she began to sing this simple refrain, she just began to sing, he died for me, I'll live for him. He died for me, I'll live for him. And then everybody began to sing. And It was so simple. He died for me, I'll live for him. Everybody began to sing the song, and somehow just sitting in the back rows of where I was sitting, it just gripped me how pure How powerful, how good, how lovely, how wholesome that this was. Well, the weekend finished and it was over and God had touched my heart in different ways and I got back into the RX-7 and my brother's friend put Twisted Sister back in the deck and I listened to one song and I just felt like everything in my life did not Align with this anymore. I felt it jarred me. I didn't want to sing Twisted Sister anymore. I didn't want to, you know, get all caught up in my angstiness as a teenager. I wanted what they had. So after one song, I popped it back out and I just said, hey, can we just talk about the weekend? Can we do something else? I don't want to just sing Twisted Sister for hours on the way back home. I don't want to go back. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You say, well, Steve, we can't all go to Bible college. We can't all live there for the rest of our lives. That's true. You can't always choose your environments. Your environment might be really hostile in the area of speech. Right? My brother, he did basic training with the reserves. He told me this. He said, they swear at me all day, then I go to sleep, and I have dreams where they swear at me all night then I wake up swearing. I know I say that story because I know a couple of you are about to do basic training. I know two guys at least. <laughs> they're about to do basic training. Don't stop. Do basic training. It's good. You can't always choose your environment, but you can choose your inputs. There are inputs that you can choose. Right? I gave you four, four chapters of Scripture. You can, re- you can read those, but you can, you can choose things that will fill your heart. You can choose things that will fill your heart. Some of you, you just need to do an inventory out of the things that you can choose, right? You can choose the music you pick, right? I remember years ago, Volker Rennesland was teaching on anxiety, and he said, you know what, don't, if it makes you anxious and bitter and angry, don't listen to talk radio. Some of you like talk radio, but it does weird things to you. So says, just listen to something light and pop and just whatever, just innocuous. Put on some happy song, the oldies or the newies or whatever. Just put it on. Because those things influence us. So let's just say this. Some of the music we choose to sing along to, like Twisted Sister in His Day and whatever the modern day equivalent is for you, you're, you're just singing stuff that doesn't align with what you want for your life. Right? Often, um, I'm surprised at some of the lyrics that are coming on, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not something I should be repeating. That's not something I should dwell on. Um, especially, here's something I noticed. How much objectification of women is in music? Now, objectification of men is in there too, right? But I, but I notice it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I'm like, am I listening to pop radio? This song just said women are this, use the word that I won't even repeat in church. I'm like, I, just, I can't even believe that. If, if that's on your playlist, on your phone, you should get rid of it. Let me read you Ephesians four twenty-nine to 32. Don't, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And you say, wow, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth." And how do you do that? By dealing with what's in the heart. And how do you do that? By having a say over what inputs go into your heart. So, so there's one role that you've got to play, and that's, that's guarding the inputs. And I could go into all sorts of different ways. Some of you shouldn't be on Facebook because it makes you mad. Some of you shouldn't be on Facebook because you, when you go on Facebook, you troll other people. You antagonize them into a fight. Because it's sort of anonymous almost. Right? We also experience that when we're driving. We use finger gestures we wouldn't use in church. That's a form of speech, even though it's sign language. It's a form of speech. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your fingers. You say, I'll never see that driver again. No, but they'll carry the offense from your anger and your hostility for the rest of the day, and they'll take it out on some other innocent person. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Show up online from what you type. Show up in your gestures. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen or observe or who read what you posted. And so don't let this unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Why? Because we're called to build others up. We're called to benefit others who listen to what we say. And the other why is, in verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The other big why is we don't want to grieve God. We don't want God who created us to be a blessing, and then bought us back from sin and our lostness and our distance from God by his death on the cross. We don't want him to be grieved that the one that he's given his life for is giving giving their life to things that are destructive. So get rid. Oh, here's the how. Here's the big how. So you say, okay, I'm not going to try to tame my tongue primarily. I'm going to try to Work on what's in my heart, what my heart is full of. And here is really getting down to nuts and bolts of how to do that. Obviously, control the inputs, good inputs, not bad inputs. But listen to this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice, that's an interesting word. I don't say malice very much. But you know where you find the word malice show up? It's a root word of malicious. Malicious talk. And I I think you almost, I'm not sure if that's exactly how the sentence structure is in the original language, but I think you could almost go back and say every form of malice is a good description of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. They're all malicious. They all come out of a malicious intent Not to benefit others, but to get revenge, or to hurt, or to lash out. Get rid of it, is what Ephesians says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, malice, and slander, and every form of malice. This is the stuff that's creating the speech. Share your environment. Also influences, but the stuff that brings out the speech that kills, that's destructive, that James says can, is like a spark that sets a whole forest on fire. This is where it comes from. And so his next verse says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Say, well, how? Here's how forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You say, I don't know how to get over my bitterness. I don't want to be a bitter person. I don't want rage to be what's welling up within me. I don't want my anger. I don't, I don't want my tendency to, to brawl and fight. And I notice that I, I do use my words to slander others, and I don't want that either. But how do I deal with it? How do I change what's inside of me? Forgive each other. It's the process of forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to kindness and compassion. It's a process, right? You, you say, God, you've called every Christian to forgive. I know I have to forgive. And so I accept that that's your command, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, sort of optional, right? You can think about it and go, should I forgive or, or shouldn't I forgive? I would recommend that you forgive because otherwise you're going to get really sick inside. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not optional. Right? So you got that? If you're not following Jesus right now, you're just happy to be here. Someone brought you to church. They're going to give you lunch afterwards. We're thrilled you're here. But you're not under the gun right now. You can choose. Should I forgive? Should I not forgive? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's not a choice. It's a command. and It's because Jesus forgave you. You realize that Jesus offers forgiveness to every person. You realized you needed forgiveness for your sin. And when you asked for that forgiveness, you asked for Him to save you from the, the penalty of your sin, He said yes. And because He forgave you, now you're in a very unique position. You're in a position to forgive other people. You have the motivation to forgive other people because you know what, what God forgave you for. You also have the power of God to assist you in forgiving other people because forgiveness is really hard to do. When you get to the end of yourself and you're, you're crying out to God and you're saying, I, I can't forgive, that's when it all kicks in because God says, of course you can't. But me or God, through you, I can. Right? I always keep looking at Jesus. Jesus on the cross forgave the very people who were killing him Jesus, you can forgive anyone. Would you work through me so I can forgive the people I need to forgive? And when we forgive, we don't automatically have super loving emotions towards somebody. In fact, you don't need that to forgive. It's a choice of the will. You just agree with God, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'll let way down the line, I'll let the feelings come afterwards. But right now, even though I don't feel any warmth towards this person, I'm going to choose to forgive. And as I make that choice, I'm going to trust you in faith that you will cause the whole process to happen. So God, I I choose to forgive. And when you make that choice, the enemy will come back to you, want you to get bitter and stuff like that, but you can just remind him, no, I made a choice to align myself with God, to do what he commands me to do, and that is to forgive, and I'm gonna trust the results to him. And I've seen this work out in my life where I've, so many times, choose to forgive, don't feel any warmth towards that person. When the enemy tries to tempt me to, to pick up my offense and be mad again. Reinforce it by saying, no, I chose to forgive. I'm aligning myself with God. The anger starts to disappear and dissipate. It gets less. I'm praying for that other person. It's hard to stay uh, totally bitter at someone that you're praying for. My prayers get better. They start out with clenched teeth. They end out with open hands. And then you get to the very end of the journey where you realize the anger and bitterness is gone. You can pray with a pure heart for that person. And that thing that was causing such acidic speech to come out of your mouth, such negativity was coming out of your mouth, it isn't isn't inside anymore. Be kind and compassionate to one another. How? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So I'm to do one thing. I'm going to do a prayer exercise with you real quick. And then I'm going to tell you a story and I'll close with a different thing that's hopefully going to be helpful. So I listed a lot of different ways that speech can be negative. And so we want to take a time, if we recognize that in us, to repent. That means to have a total 180 turn in our heart and our mind, new thinking, new heart towards those things. Uh, James, I'm thankful for James because he just God punches us so we realize how this is so not in line with what God wants for us. And maybe you've been just realizing that as I've been speaking. You're saying, oh, that's not in line. I'm going to go through a list here and I just want you to prayerfully respond to God. If you notice something on the list and you say, yeah, that's an issue for me, I want you to say, God, sorry. You're right. This isn't what I'm called to. This is what I was made for. This is what I was created for. This isn't why you bought me back to make me your own. So you're going to repent of that and then ask for his forgiveness and the Bible says he forgives. Okay? You're going to walk away clean. Walk away clean. God is the God of second chances, of fresh starts, of making things new. So I'm going to go through these things. Okay? So just prayerfully, again... I'll, I'll guide you through it. The first one is, is dirty jokes. I don't need to explain it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So as you just be prayerful in this moment, Lord, is that true about me? Is that something that needs to change in my life? Do I, do I recognize that it's there? If it is, say, Lord, forgive me. Just in the own quietness of your heart, don't say it out loud, but just, Lord, forgive me. I want to be innocent of evil. I want to be excellent at what is good, but I don't want to, I don't want to delve into the whole world of, of things that are inappropriate. I want to be wholesome on the inside in this area. Please forgive me. I don't want any part of that anymore. If you ask for forgiveness, he's forgiven you. How about this one? sarcasm. I'm not talking about British humor, okay? There's a lot of sarcasm in British humor. I'm British, that's why I can say that. I'm talking about the biting sarcasm that actually is caustic and it's, it's got an edge to it that hurts and belittles. Lord, is that in us? A sarcasm that is not from you, but it actually, it's, it's a form of Spreading death in the lives of people, it it hurts. Lord, if that's there, we just ask, would you forgive? Would you forgive me? I want to align with you and have speech that encourages. Amen, if you ask for forgiveness, he forgave you. Gossip. Is that in me? God, do I, do I say things that aren't helpful? Maybe they're juicy, but it's, it's not the information, it's not mine to share, it's not really my story, and I'm causing mm, disputes to continue on. It's like giving fuel to disputes because of retelling these things that I shouldn't be telling. Lord, give me understanding to see whether that's an issue, whether I've been, where gossip has been something that's coming out of my mouth and is hurting. It has a potential to hurt others. Lord, would you forgive me for gossip? If you asked for forgiveness, he forgives. Slander. Slander is like, I would say, gossip on steroids. It's like that step up where you, you say, I really do, you, slander is where you intend to cause harm. Gossip might be you feel more harmless, but it might cause harm. Slander, there's, it's not very clear. You really want someone, you want their dirty secrets to be known. You want them to hurt. You want their reputation to be hit and damaged. Lord, is there, has there been any slander in me wanting to hurt someone else to that? Lord, if that's true, I apologize. I, I, I say sorry, and will you forgive me? I don't want to use my tongue that way anymore. Will you forgive me? How about trolling? This is your online where you're going, you're, you're, you're antagonistic online, probably hiding behind the anonymity or that, the distance that we have online, but you're, 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 you're finding people online and you're, you're stirring up conflict. Um, it, maybe it's demeaning or ridiculing someone else online. Lord, if, if that's been my online behavior, Lord, I want to change. So Lord, would you forgive me for trolling other people online. Help me to have constructive conversations online, good dialogue, and to do it in respect. Will you forgive me for trolling? How about rude gestures? Again, I said that's part of our communication, rude gestures. If you know that that's something for you, just ask for forgiveness. Lord, would you forgive me for rude gestures? How about hostility or threatening speech? Sort of, it's like you're, you're, you're it's the kind of speech that sort of has a, a veiled threat, maybe a physical harm or some sort of damage you might do to another person, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's there. It's sort of sometimes how you do life with people, but it's, you know it's not right. Lord, if there's any hostility or threatening speech, In our words, we ask for your forgiveness. I ask for my, I ask for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive. Three more. Objectifying speech. Objectifying speech. That's not seeing the human being that's in front of you, but actually turning them into an object, the sum of their parts. Lord, help us to see people as human, as a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl and to see every person that we lock eyes with as created in your image. Your fingerprints are all over them. Forgive us for turning them into an object. Help us to change the way we speak about sons and daughters of the Father. How about complaining? Complaining. Let's pray about that one. Lord, do we have a complaining spirit? Is it a tendency to... To complain about things lord i pray that that we wouldn't return from that and rejoice and gratitude would actually be what is the majority of what comes out of our mouth and not a constant complaining spirit will you forgive me for complaining and last one general negativity just negativity everything's bad everything's self-pity and negative lord please forgive me for negativity In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the great thing about confession and repentance is that at the end, your focus should shift from yourself, because that was a lot of self-introspection. Your focus should shift at the end to God. If you stay in there, you're not actually doing the full process. The full process is to rejoice in how great a forgiver God is, not to focus on how uh, lousy a performer you are. Okay, don't stay there. Move on to the second part. God, you're a great forgiver. Let's just pray that. Lord, you are great. Your mercy is incredible. It's new every morning. Your forgiveness for us is is unbelievable. We just praise you for your grace that you just poured out so liberally on us. And I thank you that you are a God of second chances. You are not counting those sins against us. But those things are clean and wiped away, and you've just given us a fresh uh, start in that area of relationship with you. And we praise you for that. You're incredible. You're incredible. Help our eyes be fixed on you, not ourselves. Not ourselves. We're not living in the past. We're not living in, in these things that you've forgiven. But we just agree with your forgiveness. We agree with your forgiveness. We don't deserve it. But you've given it to us, and so we're not going to try to earn our way back to you. We're going to live in gratitude and a close, intimate relationship with you because you have made it possible. You're the hero of this story. You're the hero of every one of our stories. But thank you, thank you, thank you that you make us new. And we thank you for that just-been-to-the-dentist-clean feeling we have in our soul after we confess and repent. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So here's the last thing I want to share with you today, and I'm going to finish it real fast. Proverbs. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, and then Proverbs 10, 11, two verses. Proverbs 18, says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. The tongue has power of life and death, and we've talked a lot about the power of death, but I want to talk about the power of life. And then Proverbs ten eleven says it again, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So, I don't want to just stop and say, let's deal with the ways in which we haven't used our speech destructively. I want us to have a higher vision for how God wants to use your speech to bring life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So it's not just like, oh, let's get back to 50%. I was doing bad, now I want to get up to 50%. No, 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 no. We want to excel in this area. We want our mouths and our speech to be a fountain of life. What could your speech produce? What could your A fountain, a water that bubbles up from the ground. I mean, we're not talking, you know, it produces life, green life all around it. And that's what God has meant for your speech to produce all around you, to bring life to people. Encouragement, hope, purpose, meaning, affirmation, strength, your tongue. Your tongue, used by God to be a fountain of life. I want to tell you a quick story. I've told this story before in church, but it it impacted me when I first heard I can't stop thinking about it it was my friend Joyce she'd gone as a missionary to the island of Dominica not Dominican Republic Dominica it's smaller and less touristy and uh, she went to Dominica in the Caribbean to be a missionary and while she was there she ran into a culture of uh, especially the men in the culture were were not doing well especially in keeping their promises to their wives and there's lots of things that were wrong in the culture and she this was her habit she would walk down the main road, and as she walked down the main road, she'd see the men of the village. She was a single woman, and she'd just, you know, gone to be a missionary, but when she would when she'd see the men of the village, she would say, how are you today, man of God? And uh, they'd sort of look at her, and like, hello, Joyce, and whatever, they all knew her, and, and then she'd go see another one. Hey, how are you today, man of God? It's good to see you, man of God. And uh, anyhow, this one man in particular was really sort of impacted by her saying this day after day after day. Every time he, she greeted her, she called him a man of God. And so he, he caught up to her one day and, and sort of whispered quietly so none of the other guys could hear. Her. And he said, Joycey, Joycey, don't call me a man of God. And she says, why? He said, I'm not a man of God. And she said, oh? He said, no, no, no. If you knew what I did last night even... You would never call me a man of God. And Joyce just turned to him and said, I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about your future. And she refused, and she kept calling him a man of God. It was a long time later, but he came to her and he said, I want to be what you say I can be. I want to be a man of God. Would you teach me how? And she had a huge impact on that island because she spoke a life everywhere she went. Everywhere she went, she saw men who were not living for God, men who were not, exp- not living up to their potential, and women. Not women. But This one practice really caught my attention. She saw men and women and families that weren't living up to their potential, weren't living up to what they could be. God had created them for so much more than that. And she spoke it out everywhere she went. How are you today, man of God? And many of those ones saw through her words a preferred future, a better future. Just like when I went to Bible college and I thought, it can be like this. Life can be like this. The way we interact and relationships can be like this. And they grabbed onto it and lives were transformed.